Well, we started a uh, new series last week called The Comeback, and this series is all about how you can come back from anything, that there is nothing, literally nothing that is strong enough to keep you down when you've got Jesus living in your heart. And uh, we kicked things off last week for Easter Sunday talking about how you can come back from death. You can come back from a death experience just like Jesus did. We talked about how to live with that resurrection power in your life all the time. And today as we continue this series, I want to talk about how we can come back from something else that can be quite debilitating and quite powerful in our lives when it's active. I want to talk about how we can come back from doubt because of Jesus. You can come back from doubt. And if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along with me, I invite you to turn now to John chapter 20. We're primarily going to be right there in, uh, in that chapter within a few verses today. John chapter 20. I'm going to read those verses in just a minute. But before I do, I want to say this is a really fitting subject to talk about the week after Easter. Because this is exactly where some of the disciples were a week after the, after the resurrection. Particularly one of them, a disciple by the name of Thomas. He was struggling with this intense doubt following the death of Jesus, and I think he was struggling with doubt uh, about what Jesus' death meant for his future. I think that's really the, 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 the main thing that he was struggling with, and I want us to look at this scripture together in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. This is what the scripture says. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, Didymus just means the twin, he was one of the twelve. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now, let me give some context to that real quick. Jesus had risen from the dead, and he started showing off how awesome he was to people. He started showing up. He showed up to the women. He showed up to different disciples at different times. And then he walked into a room where all the disciples were, except for Judas, who had just killed himself, and Thomas, who we don't really know where he was. And so Jesus appears to all the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word today. Lord, we love you. And once again, we thank you for this opportunity, God, to be in your house, Lord, to hear from you, to hear from your word, Lord. God, we know that your presence is here. Lord, and we pray that you would speak to us now through your word. I pray, God, that our hearts would be open to receive your truth, Lord. And God, that it would take root in our hearts. It would produce a harvest, Lord, a harvest of righteousness, that we would become more like Jesus today because of the power of your word working mightily in us. And we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you something today. How would you like to be known by your worst quality? <laughs> like somebody figures out something that you're not real proud of, maybe the most embarrassing thing about you, and they literally make it your nickname. Known as your worst quality. Carmen and I were watching a movie a few weeks ago called Pitch Perfect. <laughs> Pitch Perfect. And in that movie, there's a character by the name of Fat Amy. 
Fat Amy, and she calls herself that. And they were like, why do you call yourself Fat Amy? And she was like, well, I know that's what everybody's thinking, and I just want to beat them to the punch. I'm like, man, why would you want to be known by your worst quality? I, it reminds me of a time I walked into a room full of my peers, and there was a guy that I didn't know really well in the middle of the room, and he didn't know my name. And so I come walking in, and he looks at me, and he goes, hey, big boy. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Those are fighting words. Where did that come from? My name is not big boy. It's Brian, thank you. Big boy is a restaurant with great burgers and milkshakes. I know about it. That's not my name. Hey, big guy. I mean, you don't want to be known by what you think is your worst quality. It's the big guy. Hey, what's up? Pastor Big Man. Hey, everybody. You know? But I feel like that's kind of what happened with Thomas. He's known in every Sunday school class across the world as Doubting Thomas. And the truth is, he did some really cool things in his life. We read in the scripture how he was one of the 12. He was a disciple. That means he got to follow Jesus around for three and a half years. He saw Jesus do all the really cool miracles you read about, the feeding of the 5,000, the calming of the storm, all that kind of stuff. Thomas was there and saw all of that. After the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, history tells us that Thomas actually took the gospel to the nation of India. He was the first one to go into India with the message of Jesus and establish the church there. He lived there in India. He died in India. And I'm told that Thomas is the most common boy's name in India still to this day. That is amazing impact. That is a long legacy that Thomas had in India. But even with all of that, we still know Thomas is Doubting Thomas. And fair or not, there's a reason that we call him Doubting Thomas. And it's because he had a pretty intense moment of doubt in the scripture. And that doubt marked his life and sort of labeled his character. And see, that's what I want you to know today. Doubt is a hard thing to come back from. In fact, doubt is a powerful way of thinking in your life. And when it takes root and it sort of overwhelms you, it has far-reaching implications. And I think we see some of those implications here in the story with Thomas in John chapter 20. In fact, I see three things about doubt here in the text that I want to give you today to show you how destructive doubt can be when it gets rooted in your life. Three things about doubt. Here's the first one. Doubt will cause you to miss out. Doubt will cause you to miss out. This is what I mean. Doubt will cause you to miss out on experiences that other people get to experience. I want you to look at the scripture with me again in verse 24. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, he was a disciple. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. You see what I'm talking about? This, this is such a rarity in the scripture. You see places where Jesus took one disciple or maybe three disciples off and he was kind of teaching them something or showing them something. But when you see the disciples together, you never see, well, it was almost all of them. You know, there was one or two missing. We don't really know where Peter was. You know, you don't see that. This is, this is unique in the scripture. The disciples are there, but Thomas was not with them when Jesus came to see them in those previous verses. I've heard it said all my life that faith will open up doors for you. It will create opportunities for you. Jesus himself said that nothing is impossible for him who believes. See, that's the power of faith. It creates opportunities. It causes things to happen. I totally believe that. I think I've seen it in my own life. I know that I've, I've seen some things happen. And I've lived out some things that faith allowed me to experience. But if that is true, that faith creates opportunities and faith opens up doors, then the opposite has to be true as well. And that is that doubt will cause you to miss out on opportunities. Doubt will cause you to miss out on experiences that others may get to experience because of their faith. 
You know, I, I, I love to laugh and at and make fun of my father-in-law. That is the primary reason we have in-laws. They give us something to laugh about. And you guys know my father-in-law, Roger, well. He visits a lot. Um, and uh, he's a huge Alabama fan. And I make fun of him for that all the time. Though it's really, it's hard to make fun of that because they're so good. And so they literally win every game. But, you know, there was a, a few years ago, Alabama was the number one team in the nation, and they were playing the number two team in the nation. It was going to be this big showdown, and somebody gave him free tickets. And he was all excited about it, right on, right on the 50-yard uh, line. And, I mean, I was a little bit jealous. I was like, that's kind of cool, you know. Even though I'm not an Alabama fan, it would be fun to go to a game like that. And so he goes to the game, and, man, the first half was bad. Alabama, they made a lot of mistakes. They threw some interceptions. They fumbled. I think by the end of the first half, they were down by like four touchdowns or something. They're losing by 28 points. And so he texts me, and he's like, I'm leaving. I am not staying here for this. They did not come to play today, and I'm not wasting my time on this team. I'm going home. Well, he went home because he doubted that they could come back from that deficit. But what happened in the second half was they had one of those classic Nick Saban comebacks. Come on, I, they've done it to Georgia twice now in big games. I know how this works. Nick Saban starts coming back. They start scoring every time they touch the ball. It's a touchdown. Nobody can stop them. And sure enough, they have this epic comeback. It is the most watched game of the year in all of college football. And he missed it. He missed it because he doubted that that was possible. He doubted that that could happen. So everybody around him got to experience this epic comeback, but he missed out on it because he did not believe it could happen. I think about Jesus and Peter in Matthew chapter 14. You know, that's the story of Peter walking on the water. You remember that story? The Bible says that the disciples were, were all together out on the boat uh, at sea. I mean, even Thomas, he's there too. They're all in this boat together. And in the middle of the night, they see Jesus walking towards them on the water. And of course, they're terrified. You would be too. I mean, just think about it. You're out in the middle of the sea in the middle of the night, and you see this person walking towards you. They are freaking out. They think it's a ghost. And so Jesus calls out to them, and he's like, guys, it's just me. Calm down. It's just me. And so Peter responds. He's the only one who responds. And he says, Jesus, if that's you, then tell me to come and walk on the water with you. And so Jesus says, well, come on then. And so Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking on the water. Now, this is amazing. See, it is amazing what faith will allow you to experience, right? See, Peter had faith in that moment that nobody else had, and he experienced something that none of the rest of the disciples got to experience because they stayed in the boat when he went walking on the water with Jesus. But then look at the next verse in Matthew chapter 14, verse 30. It says, but when he, Peter, he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Verse 31 says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, listen, there's a connection between fear and doubt that I don't really have time to dig into today. There's a lot of times when you've got doubt overwhelming your life, and that's the, that's the root of it. That's the source. You're, you're afraid of something. There's some kind of fear that's empowering that doubt. But this is what I want you to see here in this story, because this is the implications of living with doubt. Faith allowed him to leave the boat when nobody else would. Faith allowed him to walk on the water when nobody else got, got to. But then doubt creeped in, and doubt caused him to sink in the same exact water that he was just walking on. So let me ask you a question today. In what areas of your life are you sinking in when you should be walking on? In what areas are you sinking where God has called you to walk? And could it be 
that that is the case because there's doubt where there should be faith. And see, that's the difference between faith and doubt. It's staying in the boat versus walking on the water. It's falling in instead of walking on. Sometimes doubt will keep you from experiencing the things that others experience. And following the crucifixion of Jesus, Thomas let doubt take over in his heart and mind. And it caused him to miss out on experiencing something that the rest of the disciples got to experience. They saw Jesus. It wasn't a rumor anymore. They saw him with their own eyes. They knew he was real. And they knew that he had indeed come back from the dead just like he said he would. But Thomas wasn't there and he missed out. We don't know for sure why Thomas wasn't there. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I do know this for sure. Doubt will keep you out of rooms that faith will put you in. Doubt will cause you to miss out. Here's the second thing I want you to know about doubt from the story. Doubt is defining. Doubt is defining. That's what I mean. Doubt can become a defining characteristic in your life, and it can also show up in the defining moments of your life. We know how doubt defined Thomas's character. I mean, he's still called Doubting Thomas by every Baptist Sunday school teacher in the country. Doubting Thomas. But more than that, I don't know why I said Baptist. It's all of them. It's, <laughs> But more than that, doubt defined and marked, watch this, one of the biggest moments of his life, it was defined by a moment of doubt. Look at it with me in John chapter 20, verse 25. It says, so the other disciples, they told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, watch this, I will not believe. The other disciples experienced something that Thomas missed out on, and so they're all excited about it. They're like, dude, you won't believe this. When you were MIA yesterday, Jesus showed up. He walked into the room. He came in and he talked to us. He told us some huge, some really important things about our future. He breathed on us and we received the Holy Spirit. It was this awesome, impactful moment. And how does Thomas respond to that? Their overwhelming joy, their excitement. How does Thomas respond? I will not believe. It was one of the most defining moments of his life. Jesus is alive. We've seen him with our own eyes and it was met with doubt. Now that shows you, these are the disciples. He's been living and doing life with them for three and a half years. That shows you how powerful doubt had become in Thomas's heart. It was an emphatic statement, I will not believe. And that's the way the words are written in the original language, in the Greek. There's a force there. It's almost like he's angry about it. He's putting his foot down. He's making this emphatic statement. It literally reads, I will positively not believe. Believe. What he's doing is he's stating out loud what he's already made up in his mind and his heart to believe. He had chosen that he was not going to believe any of this. He had seen Jesus die, and that was it. The story is over. That's the end of the game. Jesus is buried, and I don't care what you guys say because I saw him die. It's over. And again, this is a defining moment in his life, and how sad is it that this moment was defined by his doubt? You might get to heaven one day. I hope you will. You might want to talk to Thomas. Be like, hey, Thomas, what did you do the moment you found out Jesus was alive? I chose not to believe. Thank you for that. <laughs> Everybody else has a really cool story, not Thomas. He's like, no, that was not my good moment. That happened because doubt is defining. And listen, this is what doubt does to us. 
It shows up in the critical moments of our lives when just a little bit of faith, just like Jesus talked about, just the faith of the size of a mustard seed would cause you to experience a miracle or be filled with great joy. Doubt shows up and sabotages us in those moments. And when we choose to doubt in those defining moments of our lives, listen, it's bigger than just that moment. Doubt then sets a course for our future. Doubt will actually be the thing that comes to define us just like it was for Thomas. And I believe that's where some of you are right here, right now, today, and why you're struggling the way that you have been in your faith walk. It's because doubt has sort of come to define you. And listen, now it's setting the, 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 the course for your future. And without realizing, and I'd be willing to bet that you make several statements of doubt every single day of your life, just like uh, Thomas emphatically said, I will not believe. You say things like, you know, this thing is not going to turn around for me. Uh, th- this marriage is not going to turn around. This thing is over. It's dead. Uh, my, I'm in a dead end job. I'm not going anywhere in my life. I'm not going to come back from this. I'll never be happy again. I, it's just not in the cards for me. I guess I'm just not supposed to be happy. I'll never be healed again. I'm, I've been sick for a long time and I'm just never, I'm just giving up the hope that one day I'll be made well. I don't believe that people really care about me. You make statements like that throughout the day. And listen, whether you know it or not, those statements are framing your mindset and your mindset is empowering your actions. And so whether you realize it or not, doubt is becoming the defining characteristic of your life. And we see it here with Thomas. Regardless of what you guys claim to have experienced, I am choosing not to believe. Doubt is defining. I'm giving you three things we learn about doubt from Thomas in John chapter 20. Here's the third one. Doubt is a disease. Doubt will cause you to miss out. It's defining and doubt is a disease. Look at the scripture with me again in John chapter 20 verse 26. It says a week later his disciples were in the house again. And this time Thomas is with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now that last part of verse 27, where Jesus says, listen, Thomas, you got to stop doubting and believe. The way those words are written in the Greek is very interesting to me. This is, what, this is how it actually translates. It says, call, Jesus says, call a halt to your progressive form of unbelief and become one who is believing. So you make a decision right now to stop this progressive form of unbelief. It was that word progressive that jumped out at me when I read it in the original language. See, it reminds me of someone gets an awful diagnosis of cancer. And nobody wants to hear that. Nobody ever wants to hear you have cancer. That's a horrible thing to hear. But it's even worse when the prognosis of that cancer is that it is progressive. Because what that means is that it's not isolated or stagnant into one part of your body. Progressive means that it is aggressively taking over your whole body and your chances of survival greatly decrease when you find out that the cancer is progressive. Now listen, there is a reason that Jesus said what he did in the New Testament. There is a reason he said it like he said it, and the original language bears that out. I think what God wants us to see is he wants to see how powerful doubt can be. Doubt is like a disease, and it's progressive in nature. And it starts with maybe just a little bit of doubt here and there, maybe just a little statement of doubt. I don't really believe that. 
I don't think that uh, that way, and I, I don't really think that's, I, that, that might be good for you, but it's not good for me. And you, you just maybe start with little statements of doubt here and there, but then before you know it, doubt is progressive in nature, and so it's taking over every part of you, and it begins to infect your mind, and now you don't see a hope-filled future. When you think about things going forward, and you, your outlook on life is not hopeful at all, and the reason why is because you've been infected with doubt. Then it gets into your heart, and so your heart uh, begins to, that, that's where you like relate to others. Those are your relationships, and you don't feel hopeful about relationships anymore. You don't feel hopeful at all about this person in your life. You don't see the best in them anymore. All you do is see the worst in them. Where's the hope gone? What happened to this relationship? Well, doubt crept in, and that's what happens when we get infected with doubt. It starts to infect every single part of us in the way that we view others, in the way we view ourselves, and the way that we view God, and the way that we view where we're going. Doubt is progressive, and when it takes over, little by little, it just keeps destroying you faith until there's nothing there. So Jesus said, Thomas, right now, I need you to make a choice to stop the progressive nature of this disease of doubt that is infecting you. I need you to put a stop to it right now and decide instead to become someone who believes. Now listen to me. This is Thomas's comeback moment right here. And I want you to notice what happened. Jesus didn't say, if you'll let me touch you, if, you, if you'll just give me like five seconds to pray for you, I'll take that doubt out of your life. What did Jesus say? He said, you, you put a stop to it. There are so many times when we're praying and we're asking God to do something for us. And God's like, it's on you, man. It's on you. Quit making statements of doubt and start making statements of faith. You take control of this. You be in charge. Stop this progressive form of doubt that's taken over your mind and your heart and become someone who believes. And so he calls Thomas to this. You've got a comeback story in you, Thomas, but it's up to you. Right now, I need you to make the decision. I need you to make the decision that you're going to come back from this. You're going to come back from doubt and you're going to become the disciple who believes again. And the truth is, I believe this is where a lot of us are today. Listen, it's not so much that we've lost our faith in God. We, we believe, and that might be the case for you, but I, I, don't, I don't feel in my spirit that's where we are today. It's not that we've lost faith in God. It's not that we've lost faith in His power to work and move or His, His ability to love people. It's that you've lost faith that God actually loves you. You know God is powerful, but you doubt His ability to work in your life. Because of what you've been through and what you're going through and what you're dealing with. See, that's the power of doubt right there. Doubt takes over and over time. It becomes the characteristic, the defining characteristic of our lives. So much so that we don't, we don't really believe there's anything hopeful on the other side of this pain that we've experienced. We don't see a way out of this pit. We just feel hopeless. So listen to me today. If that's where you are and this is where you're struggling, this is your comeback moment today. Jesus is here. He, he's doing the same thing. He's inviting you to do the same thing that he invited Thomas to do. Right now, choose to stop doubting and become a believer again. Someone who believes in his power to work in your life. Someone who actually believes he loves me and he wants the best for me. And he is indeed moving in my life despite what the liar and the lies are telling me to believe. Because when you let yourself believe, what's going to happen is the same thing Jesus told Mary and Martha would happen when he showed up at their house to raise their brother Lazarus from the dead. When he said, if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. 
That's what happens when you choose to believe, but you've got to first decide that you're going to get the doubt out of your life. So you're probably thinking, well, that sounds good. Sounds great. So how do I do it? How do I get the doubt out of my life? How do I become someone who comes back from doubt to start believing again? Well, I believe the story tells us. In fact, I see three keys uh, uh, for coming uh, back from doubt in the story. And here's the first one. If you want to come back from doubt, you need to experience the presence of Jesus again. If you want to come back from doubt, you need to experience the presence of Jesus again. Doubt took over like it did in Thomas because he was alone and isolated in the most vulnerable moment of his life. This is what I want you to understand. All of the disciples were hurting and confused by the death of Jesus. None of them really fully understood why that had to happen and certainly not why it had to happen like that. They were struggling. They were hurting. They were confused. You see it with Peter. Like he was like, I'm going back to being a fisherman. I don't know about you guys. Like they were all struggling with this. But when they saw Jesus and they felt his presence again, in that moment, their pain was transformed into peace and joy. And see, that's what the presence of God does. The scripture says that it's in your presence, O Lord, where we receive fullness of joy. His presence is exactly what they needed to find their faith again. And so listen, if you're struggling in a season of doubt, every day that you spend alone and isolated is a day that your doubt gets stronger and your faith gets weaker. What you need in order to restore your faith is to be in the presence of Jesus. That's exactly what Thomas needed and it's what you and I need, need too. We need to be reminded that Jesus is still alive and I can still feel his presence. I still feel him when I worship him. I still feel him when I come together with the people of God. That's the power of the presence of God. And so what did Jesus do? He knows, like, this is what Thomas needs. Thomas just needs to be in the presence of the Lord again. So what did Jesus do? He came to the place where Thomas was. Look at it again in John chapter 20, verse 26. A week later, the disciples are in the house again. Thomas is with them this time, thank goodness. And the doors were locked, but Jesus comes in anyway, and he stands among them, and he says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas had an encounter with Jesus where he felt his presence again. And in his presence, in that moment, his doubts were extinguished and his faith was revived. I think about how many times in my own personal life I have been struggling. I have been struggling with doubt. I've been struggling with fear. I've been struggling with confusion, just things going on in my life that I just cannot understand. And the answer that I need is found in the presence of the Lord. There was one time when I was in college, I've told you this story before. I was struggling. I was, I was, I was depressed. It was not good. I didn't know really what was going on in my heart. There was some things happening in me and I was just trying to, trying to just cope and deal with it. And I just thought if I can just get to the house of God, if I can just feel the touch of the Lord, I know that I will be made whole. I know that he will make me better. And I was, I was just so excited to get to church. This was a Saturday night. I couldn't wait to get to church on Sunday morning. And my alarm didn't go off. And I slept through it. And my church was, it was like a good half hour from where I lived. And I woke up. It was well into the service. It had started when I finally woke up. And I was so mad. I was so upset. I was so disappointed in myself. How in the world did I forget to set my alarm? I need to be in God's house. What in the world am I going to do now? And something inside of me just said, go anyway. Go anyway. And so I ran into the bathroom. I brushed my teeth. I did. I promise. 
I brushed my teeth. I put on a clean shirt, you know, and I jumped in my truck and I drove to my church. I drove to the house of God. And when I came walking in, they were done with the service. They were doing an altar call. And so I come walking in the front door and I hear the pastor say, if you need anything from, the, from God, you need to get down to this altar right now. And I come walking in, I open the doors and I go straight to the altar with my hands up. I don't know what he preached about and it doesn't matter because when he put his hands on me, I felt the glory of God from my head to my toes. And the Lord set me free in that moment. Hallelujah. And he restored my peace and my joy. He gave me my life back. Because I got myself into the house of God, into the presence of the Lord. That is what happens when we find ourselves in God's presence. And if you want to overcome doubt, listen, that's where it starts. you got to get yourself back into the presence of the Lord. And I think it's an important point here in verse 26 as well that the scripture says, hey, the doors were locked. The doors were locked. Now, they were probably locked because the disciples were somewhat concerned for their safety. You know, Jesus had disappeared from the tomb and the Jewish leaders were spreading a rumor all over Jerusalem that the disciples had come and overpowered the guards, moved the giant stone and taken his body and hid it somewhere. They were telling people that. And so people were probably looking for the disciples. They had some questions for them. And so the disciples are in this house with the door locked. But this is what I want you to know. Doubt in your heart will try to keep Jesus locked out. See, when doubt begins to take over like it had for Thomas, You don't want to be in the presence of God. That's the truth. You don't want to be around other people. You don't want to go to church. You want to be like Thomas was leading up to this moment, alone, isolated, and locking everybody out of your heart. And see, that's the impact of the disease of doubt. It makes you want to be alone and isolated. But look at what the scripture says. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came walking into the room and he stood right there among them. That tells me that Jesus is strong enough to break through every doubt and every fear that you may put up in your heart. He's strong enough to get through that. And there are times when our doubts are so strong and our emotions are so raw and our pain is so great that it's just debilitating. Like you don't even want to get out of bed. Come on, who knows what I'm talking about today? You don't even, you, it's like you don't even know how to move forward today. It's like you're, you're going you're gonna to do good just to make it through this day. It's in those moments, listen to me, that Jesus will come to where you are. The Bible says that he is a friend that sits closer than a brother. And he has the power to walk right into our messy situations and right into our painful realities. He comes walking in and his presence changes everything. And notice, Jesus walks into the room and he immediately goes straight to Thomas. He did that because Thomas was the one he was here for. Now, the other disciples, they enjoyed seeing Jesus again. They were excited, I'm sure. They're like, he's here, yes. Jesus, touch me and breathe on me again, and I'll receive the Holy Spirit one more time. But Jesus is, he just goes straight to Thomas. This visit was for Thomas. He says, hey, Thomas, look at my scars. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Thomas, now, this is your comeback moment. Stop doubting and start to believe again. Listen, God does the same thing for you and me when we find ourselves overwhelmed with doubt and fear and all those things. He comes to us in those moments of doubt and fear. He doesn't ignore us because of how we handled a tough situation. He doesn't get angry with us or treat us with disdain because we find ourselves in a struggle. He comes in and he goes straight to us and watch this. He addresses the very thing in your life that needs to be healed. And some of you, this is what Jesus is wanting to do for you today. His presence is here. He is here right now. And listen to me. You're the reason why. 
It's because he wants to touch you. It's because he wants to heal you. He wants you to see him and feel him again and be transformed again in his presence. Listen, Jesus' goal in this moment was not to reject Thomas. It was to reinstate him. His goal was not rejection. It wasn't to point out, oh, look at you. I can't believe you did that. It was to reinstate him. Some of you have felt unworthy because in the defining moments of your life, you've let doubt get the best of you. And if you're being honest with yourself today, you feel like you let God down. You feel like you did something wrong and he, he's, he's upset with you. Listen, listen to the heart of your Savior today. He is not angry with you. He's not. He's not disappointed with you. And he's certainly not done with you yet. Amen. The Lord told me to tell somebody he is in love with you. That's the truth. He's in love with you. And he comes to you right where you are because one moment in his presence can change your future forever. So Jesus invites Thomas, look at me, reach out your hand and touch me. You know, all through the Gospels, we read about how Jesus walked from town to town and there were people who were hurting and there were people who were sick and there were people who were broken and they needed him, they needed his touch and he put his hands on them and he healed them and he set them free and we read about that. But then we read about other times when Jesus walked into town and people reached out their hand and they touched him and they were healed too. And this is one of those moments. Listen, it is an act of faith that destroys doubt when you reach out your hand to touch Jesus. And when Thomas reaches out his hand to touch those nail scars in the hands of Jesus, he proved that there is still healing power in those wounded hands. He proved that all of that doubt, all of that fear has to go the moment that you reach out and you touch Jesus. I'm telling you that his wounds can still heal your hurting heart. It is by his stripes that we are healed. Come on, somebody, and give him praise for that today. There's not a pain too great for him to touch you. There's not a heart too wounded, too broken for him to, to touch you and heal you and make you whole. And right now, in this moment, Jesus is here and he's inviting you to do the same thing he did for Thomas. Reach out and touch the Lord and you will never be the same again. You can come back from doubt. I think the scripture shows us how to do it. First, you got to let yourself experience the presence of Jesus. Here's the second one. you got to change your language. If you're going to come back from doubt, you got to change your language. You got to suffocate it out of your life. That means you got to stop making defining statements of doubt and start making confessions of faith. And so that's what Thomas does next. Look at it. In verse 28, what does Thomas say? He says to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas responds with a statement of faith You are my Lord and you are my God. My Lord means my master. In other words, what Thomas was saying is saying, I, you're the one I trust. And one of the keys to overcoming doubt is to place your trust in the Lord again. One of the reasons I think a lot of us get overwhelmed with doubt is because we feel like God let us down. You know, like he didn't show up when we needed him the most. Have you ever felt like that? Like God just let you down? I'm sure that's what Thomas felt when he saw Jesus dying on the cross. He probably thought, well, so much for this whole kingdom coming to the earth thing. So much for, for everything Jesus said he was going to do. None of, none of it's going to happen now. He's dead. It's over. This whole thing's over. Listen to me. When God is in it, it's never over. It's never over. And, and because our king is still alive today, your story is still being written. It's still being written. It's not finished yet. And Thomas had to put his trust in the Lord again, and so do you and I. Listen, it's impossible for him to fail you. 
The scripture says that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Now listen, it may not happen the way that you envisioned it would happen, but that doesn't mean that God has abandoned you or that he's given up on you. He hasn't finished working on you yet. The scripture says that his ways are higher than our ways and he sees things from a different perspective than you and I do, but we've got to choose to trust him even when things don't make sense for us in that moment. And when we do, he will reward our faith with his faithfulness towards us. That's exactly what the Bible says happened with Abraham, a man of great faith. In Romans chapter 4, verse 20, the scripture says he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham chose to put his trust in the Lord. Listen, even when everything that God had promised he was going to do for him seemed like it was impossible, that window has closed, that door of opportunity is gone. Abraham continued to put his trust in the Lord and God rewarded his faith with his faithfulness. Scripture says he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so when Thomas says, my Lord, what he's saying is, I don't understand all of this, but even so, I put my trust in you. Friend, listen, doubt cannot stay in a heart that is fully trusting in the Lord. It just can't. That's how you suffocate doubt out of your life. When you, when you express your trust in God and you place your trust in God, it chokes the doubt right out of your life. And so he changed his language. He went from making statements of doubt, I will not believe, to statements of faith. My Lord, the one I trust. And then he said, my God, which is to say the one I worship. Now, listen, this is one of the really cool things about this story. Because no one up to this point had understood or acknowledged the fact that Jesus was indeed God in the flesh. They didn't really realize that. They knew that he was Messiah. They knew that he was the Son of God. But this is the first time in the Scripture that anyone actually realized that Jesus is God in the flesh. You might wonder, well, why, why did God choose this moment with Thomas to let it be revealed? The reason why God chose this moment is because this is the ultimate comeback story. And Thomas goes from being overwhelmed by extreme doubt to being the guy who makes the most outrageous statement of faith in the entire New Testament. Jesus, you are my God. You are the one I worship. See, Thomas started making a confession of faith instead of these statements of doubt. And if you want to come back from doubt yourself, you need to learn to do the same thing. You need to suffocate the doubt out of your life by changing your language from what you won't believe to what you choose to believe in Jesus' name. We're talking about the keys to coming back from doubt. If you want to experience it, we see what to do right here in the scripture. And here's the third one. If you want to overcome doubt, if you want to come back from doubt, you got to learn to live by faith and not by sight. You got to live by faith and not by sight. Look at that next verse with me. John chapter 20, verse 29. It says, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let me ask you something. Who do you think Jesus is talking to right here? He's talking to you and me. Isn't that cool? Jesus is talking to you in the scripture. Thomas believed on the basis of sight, but you and I are, 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 are invited to believe in Jesus on the basis of faith. And Jesus said, there's an even greater blessing for those who believe, even though they haven't seen me in the flesh. I want the band to come up and begin to play softly. And as they do, I want you to look at the scripture on the screen. It's 2 Corinthians 5 and 7. It simply says, for we live by faith, not by sight. 
Romans 1.17 says the righteous will live by faith. This is, this is a tenet. This is, you see this all throughout the, the scriptures in the New Testament and the Old Testament. This idea of living by faith and not by sight. It's one of the pillars of the Christian faith. And listen to me. It's actually one of the keys for keeping the doubt out of your life. You have to understand that there is another dimension to your life. There's what we see in front of us. And then there's what our faith tells us to believe in spite of what we see in front of us. Listen, faith does not discount what we see. I've heard a lot of bad teaching on this throughout my life. Faith, faith does not somehow magically t- take away the pain and, and make it not there. And I, 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 you know, it, that, that's, not what, that's not what faith does. It doesn't magically negate everything that you've gone through. You're suffering the difficulties that you're facing even now. What faith does is it just adds another dimension to it. It adds another layer to it, one where we believe God is in charge and he's in control in spite of it all and that everything really is going to turn out for our good. See, faith allows us to see the whole picture, not just the moment. Faith, we, we still see and feel the pain and the difficulties and the hardship we face. Just read the story of the Apostle Paul and you'll see that over and over and over again. We, we see all of that, but, but we see it, listen, we see it through the lens of God's redeeming work. We see it through the lens of God's nature towards us. Faith allows us to see the moment, but it also allows us to see the journey. And we can see there's a miracle at the end of this road. It's, it's more than just the moment. It's, just, it's more than what you just feel in this moment. Faith allows you to believe that there's something else going on. It allows you to see the whole picture. Listen, you've got a comeback story in you, and faith is the thing that will allow you to see it and experience it for yourself. If you want to become someone who overcomes doubt today, You've got to stop living your life based solely on what you see. And you've got to start living out this dimension of faith. And according to Jesus, if you will do that, you'll be blessed, blessed with a comeback that will leave even your most vocal critics speechless at the work of God in your life. They will look on and they'll say, this is impossible. And you'll say something in your mind like, well, with man, this is impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. And watch God work. Watch God do the thing he promised he was going to do. I don't care that it doesn't make sense to you because I'm living by faith and not by sight. That's the kind of thing. I, I'm telling you, you, you will baffle people when you start walking by faith and not just by sight. They'll be like, what, what, why is this happening in your life? That's, that's faith creates opportunities. It creates experiences that other people may not get to experience. That's what faith does. I want you to stand with me all across the room. And I want to have some time this morning just to respond to this message, to this word from the Lord about how to overcome doubt. And I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I, I, I was going to go in a different direction this Sunday, this series. I kind of had it planned out. I was going to talk about something else. And all week long, I couldn't get away from this. Come back from doubt. Come back from doubt. Come back from doubt. And I just believe that there's somebody here today that this is, this is for you. This is what you need to hear today. You need to come back from this place of doubt. It's kind of become this overwhelming thing in your heart. And it's charting the course for your future. And you don't want that to be the case anymore. You want to come back from doubt and start to become someone who believes again, believes the best for me. God believes and he wants the best for me. His power is strong enough to work in my life. He loves me enough to to care for me and he's not done with me and all of those things. You need to believe that again, that Jesus isn't done with you yet. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, please, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, this message is for me, and I've been struggling with doubt, and I want to overcome it today, will you just lift up your hand right where you are? I want to pray for you today. I'm, I'm ready to come back from this place of doubt. Doubt is no longer going to define my life. I'm coming back. I'm coming back from it. You can put your hands down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. I want to pray over you today. And as I pray for you, I just want you to let faith begin to rise in your heart. I want you to begin, listen, I want you to begin to see it with your mind's eye. I want you to see what life looks like when doubt no longer has a stronghold, a stranglehold on your life. What life looks like when you begin to believe that Jesus is working and moving in your life. What you're going to see is you're going to see yourself full of joy and peace and wholeness and healed. You're going to see your heart set free. You're going to see a different version of yourself. And I think it's going to propel you forward. And you've got something to, you've got something to strive for. That's the power of God working in your life. So as I pray over you, I just want you to receive it right now by faith and begin to make statements of faith instead of doubt in your mind and in your life right now. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you, God, that your word never returns void, Lord, and it will accomplish what it has been sent out to do. And Lord, right now, your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is working mightily in our hearts and in our minds. God, doubt has to go in Jesus' name. We declare it now. Doubt has to go in Jesus' name. God, it has no stronghold in my life anymore. It has no strength in my life. We come against it now in Jesus' name, and we declare faith in the place of doubt. Right now, faith is bubbling up within every single one of us who raised our hands. Those who have doubted your goodness in our lives, those who have doubted your ability to work and do what you promised you would do, God, there's faith replacing that doubt now in Jesus' name. I declare, God, a, a boldness is rising up to believe you for greater things, Lord. God, a courage to step out of the boat of mediocrity and fear and start walking on the the water the way that you've called us to walk now in Jesus name I declare open doors in Jesus name they went to that door and it was locked it was shut but look again the doors open now because faith has unlocked that door come on in Jesus name I declare things are changing things are being transformed in my life it's being transformed in my family right now it's being transformed in my home doubt is leaving and faith is coming come on and give him praise now in Jesus name if you receive it we love you Jesus Hallelujah.